Amen. Hallelujah. We adore you, Lord, in this place. We adore you with our lives, our hearts, our allegiance. Lord, you are Lord over our greatest victories, over our most mountaintop experiences, God. You bless us beyond words that we can even say. The fact that we have breath today, Lord, the fact that we have life, what an awesome thing, what an awesome opportunity you give us every day. And Father, even in our weakest moments, our toughest moments, the moments that we don't like, you are still God. You are still on the throne. And I know, Lord, it's hard for us to comprehend. It's hard for us to even have your mind or understand, especially as we, we see things. And, like, we just lift up the community of Marshall County um, this week and this weekend, another terrible school shooting. And our hearts hurt for them as God, we know, yours does. And but it, yeah, I think in our flesh, we go, why? Why can this stuff happen, God? We don't have the answer to all that. We know there's evil, and there's a evil, satanic presence in this world that wants to divide, that wants to hurt. And so, Lord, that's why we need you, and that's why we know that in the end you win, that, Father, that with you we can conquer, we can deal with the toughest things. I think it was C.S. Lewis, Lord, that said, why do believers endure and see such tough things? It's because, God, with you we can handle it. And I believe that. So, God, I pray today for whatever situation every heart in this place might be dealing with. Maybe it's as, as deep as, as sickness in their family or their loved one. Deep as, as hurt uh, through a broken relationship, God, that no one else even knows about but you. Lord, they need your healing touch today and they need your presence and your comfort to know that you are with them. I pray they seek your heart and your face. Father, for others in this room today, whatever they might be dealing with, maybe it's questions unanswered. Um, Lord, I, I pray you give peace. Sometimes our questions get perfectly answered. Sometimes we don't have the exact answer, but we have your peace. So Lord, I pray for that for hearts in this place today. For those watching online, may they lift up those concerns to you, those hurts to you. May you help the community in Marshall County to grieve. May you give them life again. Lord, I pray um, as we look at a, a very uh, important piece of scripture today that was actual prophecy, but it helps us to see, God, that we are absolutely in your hand. No matter what change brings us, no matter what difficulties bring us, we're always in your care. And there is comfort in that today, and there's power in that today. And so, Lord, I pray you show us that, that you get all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.
I don't usually, the, the Ken, isn't that incredible? I mean, the whole worship team, I mean, the day was just, I mean, every Sunday's great, but man, I just wanted to keep singing today. I just wanted to keep singing today. And, uh, it's, it's awesome that God has blessed us with such great, wonderful worship leaders and, and gifted folks uh, to do what we do here, and i um, very thankful and very blessed and honored in that. I think if we're honest in this place today that there are some of us, um, maybe some of the time, maybe more than we'd like to admit, that there are times where we go, does God really have the best interest of what's happening in my, in my you know, do I, does he really understand? <laughs> does he really have my best interest in mind? I think of an old Seinfeld episode, I don't know if you ever saw this, where George, George Costanza is on the verge of success, and because he's on the verge of success, he begins to panic. And as he does that, he says, he's meeting with his therapist, and he says, God would never let me be happy. God would never let me be successful. He'll kill me first, is what he said in the, in the TV episode. And so the therapist says, I thought you didn't believe in God. And he said, I do for bad things. Next thing you know, George thinks he's got a tumor or something, and he thinks God's out to get him. He's convinced that God's going to never let him be happy. And I think sometimes we wrestle with that. Sometimes it's big picture, sometimes it's little things where we do that. Maybe it's times that we feel God doesn't, just, doesn't want us to be happy, and or here we go again. I understand as a pastor and as churches, we have to balance this character of God with a God that, as we sing about today, is very holy, he's very just, but he's also a God who loves us, and he wants to bless us, a God who is not surprised when things happen, a God who's not surprised when things change. There have been too many pastors who have failed their congregations where we talk too much about the wrath and the vengeance of God. And while we must, we don't balance it nearly enough with the fact that from day one, God has made it clear that he desires for his people right here, right now, a life characterized by peace and blessing. And I know as we think about, as we prayed for Marshall County today, well, what about that, Russ? What, what, what about all the bad things, the shootings, the floods, the mudslides, the fires? We can go on and on and on. Why do things like that happen? Why do bad things happen? There's no simple answer. We can only say that we live in a fallen world, and because of that, things are going to happen. But can I tell you what the church's response should be? It should never be to point fingers and try to, try to place blame or to place guilt. The church's response should always be with love and help. And that must be our heart. Whether it's a national disaster or it's something that we don't even necessarily agree with, our heart should be love and help, not blaming God, not blaming anything else. And so we come to this final week of Reset, the series we've been in all month. And it's been about creating lasting change and how to handle change when it comes, change that even we don't want. 
And I think it's imperative and important today that we talk about the Heavenly Father. Because I firmly believe that as we see God for who He really is, it makes change look so much different. As I alluded to already, I want you to know in this place, no matter who you are, that God loves you. He's not out to get you. He's not out to hurt you. He's absolutely in control. And as I said far too long, we in the church have portrayed God as being this stern drill sergeant, always ticked off, and that's not who God is. Is he holy? Yes. Is he righteous? Yes. Does he call us to a higher standard? Yes. But he's compassionate. And he's also full of mercy. And the Bible says that his plan is that you and I become like Christ, that we become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and he won't give up on us until that process is complete. He's not a drill sergeant up there screaming at you. No, the Bible says he's a shepherd, a shepherd that looks after his sheep that he loves. Not an abusive, demanding dictator, but a gentle shepherd. And we're going to look in Isaiah 62, and it paints this very picture for us. An example of how God wants to relate to his people and how he wants to relate to you. If you have your Bibles, Isaiah 62, the first five verses... It'll be on the screen. It's also on the Bible app if you would like to look there with notes today on your smart device. And look at what the prophet says. He says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. And you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or or name your land desolate. But you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you. And your land will be married. And as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Wow. There's three things I want us to look at about how God feels about you. The relationship that he wants to have with you. And through this relationship, you can face whatever change comes into your life. Because you will know that you are in the Father's hand. And so the first thing I want us to look at is that you will see is that he is going to call as you surrender your life to God and you follow him with all your heart. And so he's going to call you by a new name. He is going to call you by a new name. Look back at the second half of verse 2. It says, you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow upon you. Verse 4, no longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. You see, the Lord God, he used Isaiah's mouth to speak of this spiritual message between him and the church and what we would call a very spiritual marriage between him and the church. 
And that marriage involves God bestowing on you and me a new name. When we think about marriage, um, traditionally, the wife takes on the name of the husband. And the reason that that happens is because it's a covenant relationship. And in so doing that, And so the woman taking on the name of her husband, she identifies as one with him in this covenant with God. And so when we change our last name, ladies, it's to call ourselves by that name. It's to identify allegiance with your husband. That's the beauty of that picture. It's one of the most important pieces and parts, in in my opinion, uh, in the marital uh, wedding. And here's what happens is when we give our life to Christ, he gives us a new name. And this name indicates our intimate unity with him. It not only indicates the intimate unity with him, but our radiance by virtue of that unity. No longer are we deserted. No longer are we desolate. The Lord has taken us as his holy bride. Now, I want you to understand, obviously, this was written talking about Israel, talking about the people of Jerusalem. And at the time, as this, as this was being penned, you know, obviously, this did not, Israel did not look like a radiant bride. In fact, some might say God would soon kind of leave her at the altar because of the sin of idolatry that was going on. The Babylonians would would come, they would lay waste on the land. And that's what people would call them. Israel's friends and neighbors, they would call her deserted and desolate. But God said, this will soon come to an end. And the Lord wanted his people to know that. Verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. You see, God would not keep silent so that the church would be glorified as his. No one may call the church, no one may call you as deserted or desolate. The Lord has taken us as his bride, and when you give your life to Christ, the Lord forgives all of our sins. And he's declared us righteous in Christ's righteousness and taken us to himself as a holy bride who is radiant in Christ. Our righteousness that shines out like the dawn and pierces the darkness like a blazing torch. It's Christ's perfect fulfillment of the law as the world's Savior. God would not rest, as the scripture just said, not be silent, but through the church proclaim life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The church has a purpose, and it always has, and it always will. And we have been given new names. Our new names, Hepzibah. Do you like that name? Let's all write it down together. No. Hepzibah means my joy. It means my delight in her. And then the word Beulah means married or the wedded one. The Lord has taken us, joy in us, through Christ, joined us to him as his holy bride. 
That should give us every reason to wake up and put a smile on our face no matter what we're going through, no matter what change comes our way, no matter what troubles we face. Because we now bear those names, his name, and we shine out the very radiance of the gospel for all to see. What a beautiful picture. What an incredible opportunity. And for so many of us, we waste it. Because we're worried about ourselves and our lives. And what our employer or someone else says is the most important thing in your life. This is the very reason that God has joined us to himself. God could have done what he wanted. But he said, I want to take you and you and the church and I want you to be my bride. Jesus redeemed us with his cross so that we can shine the radiance of his glory for all to see. We are the radiance of God. We need to take refuge in that. And we need to draw strength in that, that no matter what comes, we are Christ's followers living out the privilege of shining the radiance of God's glory. God doesn't see you in terms of your mistakes, your failures. He doesn't see you in any of those things. He sees you in terms of your future. He sees you in what you can become. Live in that power. Live in that radiance of God's glory. Man, it's amazing, I think, what the church can do we will walk in that. He also said, secondly, is that he will hold you in his hand. He will hold you and I in his hand. Look at verse 3. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And believe it or not, in this little short verse, there are three things that, that, that come out here. First, it tells us of the security that we have in Jesus. It tells us the security that we have in God's hand. If you need to be reminded of Jesus' words in John 10, beginning of verse 27 through 29, he said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Mark this, underline this in your Bible. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one, nothing can change that. You are secure if you know Jesus Christ and you've made him your Savior and Lord and have surrendered your life to him. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Let me take it farther. Second, you're securing God's love. You're secure in his love. He cannot love you less. He cannot change his mind about you. <laughs> does it mean nothing bad will ever happen? Of course not. But it does mean that no matter what happens, God is there with us, and he will give us the strength to endure whatever comes our way. We are secure in his hands. We are secure in his strength. There's one more. Third, he says, 
this verse shows us that God wants to put us on display before the world. He wants to put you on display before the world so that all can see the very treasure that you are to him. I don't know if you've ever had something that you're really proud of before. You know, maybe it's a, a painting in your house or maybe it's a, you know, a degree that you've earned or something your kids have accomplished or a picture that is special to you. But when you have something that, like that that really means something to you, something that you're very proud of, what do you do? You make sure you put it in a prominent place in the house, Right? Many times you walk in someone's house, man, they'll, they'll have something prominently mounted either above the mantle of a fireplace or a special place in the room so that, man, as you walk in the room, it's like, whoa, what is that? <laughs> Tell me about that. And it's because it's very special to you. You put it in a place because you don't want anybody to miss it. Can I just tell you that's exactly what God does for you in his church? He wants to put, and he is putting us in a place where he does not want the world to miss it. And many of us, we are missing it because we want to put so many things more important. Listen to how God describes it. He says, you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Because of the blood of Jesus, we are God's crown to him, we are the best thing he's ever created. We are more glorious than the Rocky Mountains. We are more majestic than the oceans. God hasn't stopped working for you, for me, for us, just because he's given us forgiveness. No, he won't sit still until everyone sees how glorious you are. Because in the first part of verse 2, he says, the nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. That means, you know what? God is not finished until it is finished. God is not finished until the return of Christ. And only then... As God continues to build his church, as God continues to, to build his relationship and his followers, only then, if you will, will the scaffolding come down, the tarps be removed, so the unbelieving world, the very world that mocked the church and marginalized it, they will grasp in amazement at her beauty and her glory. God wants to put you on display so that when people see you, See the work of God in your life. There's nothing greater. And when we face things like a tragedy, it happens, or we have a chance to respond to others, or we even have a chance to respond to change that we didn't want or want to even embrace or hope never was going to come. God's people have a chance to display the glory of God. And even though God is not the author of tragedy, he's not the author of troubles, he can use it to demonstrate the very loving and compassionate and caring nature of who he is 
and who the church is to be. The very people who call themselves by his name. Do you realize what we have to live up to every day? I don't tell you that to scare you. I tell you about the privilege it is to walk with him. And the privilege it is to serve him. Every time you serve in first impressions, every time you play a note on this worship team, every time that you encounter anyone outside the walls of this building, you have a chance to be the glory of God. And God tells us he will hold you in his hand for all to see. And it also tells us we're called to work and to walk hand in hand in partnership with God. And we are the junior partner, by the way. That should give us great comfort. Knowing we are held in his hand as a great crown. That's how much he loves us. There's one more truth here. He will delight in you. He will delight in you. Look at what happens in the rest of verse 4 and verse 5. Second half of verse 4. But the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. And as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I don't know. Have you ever been around newlyweds before? I mean, isn't it amazing? Like, how much they're in love. Their little eyes are glistening. They'll do anything for one another. My wife looking at and we're like, ah. no. We were that way once too. So. But they do, you know, in New Lives, they're such in love. And they, they look at each other and they, they want to spend the rest of their lives together. They're so excited. They'll do anything for one another. And it is really, as much as we joke about it, it's like, oh my goodness. It's the most beautiful thing. It really is the most beautiful thing because it's in that moment there are no prejudices. There are no judgments. There are no, they just love the other person for everything they are. Why is that picture so beautiful? It's even greater when you put it in the context of how God sees and delights in you. Many of us have grown up thinking that God is constantly disappointed in us. That our sin is always ever before us. We don't quite measure up. Our failures are a constant reminder of who we are. That may be how you see yourself. But it's not how God sees you. And He delights in you. He rejoices over you. You are his treasure And I want you to know, as we're reminded in the book of Romans, Paul used a phrase that believers need to latch on to. And I know you've heard the verse, Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And it brings to a very conclusion the very case that Paul in the whole chapter had been making. um, And it's this, God is for us. And God is for you. If you want to connect with God like never before, you have to dare to believe that, that God is for you. And you've got to see God for who he really is. 
not as how he's been portrayed by others, but how in truthful he really is. And you know what he's looking to do? He's looking to call you by a new name. For some of you, that's never happened in your life. He's wanting to hold you in his hand. He's wanting to make you his delight, his treasure. He's looking to forgive you. He's looking to wipe away the past, to take away your sins, to help you to become strong, to help you to be holy and like his son, Jesus Christ. And he's reaching out to you. What should you do? Reach back. Reach back. If you're facing change and you don't like it, reach back. Not merely put your hand in his hand, put your whole life in his hand. Every circumstance, everything, put your whole life in his hand. As we face change in our personal lives and even in the life of our church, God's got this. He always has and he always will. And what I've found is when God brings change into our lives, he takes us to a more effective place. He takes us to a more fulfilling place than ever before, if we will let it. It may not happen today, it may take some time, but I've seen God do it so many times. We see right in his word how many times he did it. <laughs> He's done it for so many people. Peter, David, I could go on and on. And he'll do it for us. He'll do it for you. I want to challenge you that we embrace change. Embrace the change that God puts before us. Embrace the change put before us and the change in us. And we should actually thank God for the change. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's through change that we truly rely on him. It's through change that we truly get out of the way and say, man, this ain't about me. This is your kingdom, your way. Let's embrace it. Let's embrace the change that's going to happen in us. And so that, so that we live like changed people. Let me say this before we close and come to the Lord's table. This church is not a cruise ship. You have not called me to be captain. You've not called me to also be your entertainment director to ensure that you all make it to heaven and have a good time along the way. This church is a lifeboat. And we're all crew members. And we're all crew members charged with pulling other swimmers aboard while piloting this craft together towards heaven. So don't be content to just show up for worship satisfied with your ticket to heaven. Don't be content with just coming and going through the motions. Don't be content with where you are even today. Because I'm, I imagine that there are some people, a friend, maybe your own son, your own daughter, grandchildren, they don't know the Lord. They don't go to church. Don't sit still. 
Don't just sit and take up space. Why? Because we have a God that's counting on us and he is wanting us to faithfully share the word as long as there is time before the Lord glorifies his church. Because in that moment, there won't be no more time. Why will we do this? Because you're not desolate. And you're not deserted. You're not broken. You're not powerless. We are God's delight. I'm going to ask you to bow our heads all together in this place. I want to talk you through just a couple of questions in response. This morning, I simply ask you, do you identify with being desolate in your life? Is that you? Are you living without God? There's no better day than to come and give your life to Him. He's looking to call you by a new name, a new life to give, give you his hand that he can hold you to make you his delight, his joy. Jesus died so that you would have that life and be forgiven and walk in the power of a holy God that you could be put on radiance for the world, his radiance declared. Come give your life to him today. I'll be down front. I would love to talk with you about this decision. Most important decision I'll ever make in your life. Maybe you're here and you're like, Russ, you know what? I, I'm struggling today. And maybe it's different reasons. Maybe you know he's called you by a new name, but you don't feel like it. <laughs> you don't feel like you're in his hand. You don't feel like you're his delight. You don't understand change. You don't understand things, and that's okay. God wants to meet you right where you're at. And so whether it's in your seat or you want to come to this altar, it's always open. You come. Maybe you need just to pray with somebody. We'll have some prayer. Folks down here love to pray with you. I'll invite us just to pause a moment, and then as we're ready, we can come to the table. Why do we come to the table? We as believers, if you are a believer in this place, you come because the Lord has said, you proclaim. You proclaim me and you proclaim the good news until I return, until I glorify my church. And so we take of the bread and we take of the cup, the fruit of the vine remember his broken body and his shed blood for the remission of our sins. So remember that as you take that today and reflect on what he's done for you and what he will do when we are glorified to heaven forever and ever. Spotless before our holy God. I'm going to pray and as you feel led, you come. Father God, thank you so much for today. I thank you for a chance to respond, God, to your hand, Father, and your heart. 
thank you for our new name and that we are your bride. We are your joy. We are so thankful that you rejoice over us. And I pray today, Father, that we be challenged. We be challenged in what you've called us to do. We're challenged in who we are in your name, God. That we remember and reflect why we are who we are. I pray for decisions all over this place. May you, may you be worshiped and adored in Jesus' name.